and all 250. Patrick Talon here, as always, joined alongside Luke Burrows and Nick Robinson. Uh, tons to cover today, as always. But before we do, uh, remember to download both the Barn Burner and Zingo TV app available on both iOS and Android devices. Zingo TV is also available on Chromecast, Amazon Fire, and Fire TV Sticks, Roku, and Roku Sticks, also on small, on all uh, small TVs, no, smart TVs, 2016 and forward. Um, I was just thinking, and I found some old pictures of us in studio. It really is weird not being in studio. Um, with you guys back at the... I was thinking about that today too actually yeah I actually did get a one-year reminder the other day on my snapchat and it was us in the studio and yeah I got really really nostalgic looking yeah. at it but you know that feels like the, forever, it's the new though. world like it's, I couldn't even fathom doing that now yeah like that just going there yeah um and it's it's harder to get mad at each other online i think i think it's easier when you see someone say something when you're within like, like striking distance yeah. it's a lot easier yeah, yeah. That's good. I, I always think back to that with the uh, fighting debate that Patrick yes. and I had and yeah, yeah. how we were sitting three <laughs> feet away from each other. And I, <laughs> and then when the show's over, we, we all uh, just, we should have planned a better seating arrangement. Yeah, really. Um, anyway, that's nice. That's a nice way to start the show, but let's get into some news. Uh, and in the off season, it's, it's hard because there's not a lot of news, but there was enough. Um, and hopefully, I think in the next couple of weeks, we should see Mikael Granlund and Mike Hoffman signed. We assumed that they would actually, or at least I did, I thought those guys would be signed before the big fish like Taylor Hall and Petrangelo. Easier to get those types of deals done. But given the cap structure and everything going on in a COVID era, it is tough. So hopefully that comes soon. But let's talk about some injuries and let's talk about the Dallas Stars specifically because um, it was made public that Tyler Sagan and Ben Bishop will each, uh, they'll miss five months due to injury. Um Ben Bishop, that was the one. He had some underlying issues during the playoffs, clearly. And the fact that they signed Anton Kudobin after there were reports that he was going to test the market uh, three years, 3.3 million. I think that's awesome. And that's good for them. They have some insurance. But this doesn't look good for Dallas. Um, Look, Sega had a pretty disappointing playoff performance. We talked about that endlessly. But overall, one of your core players and a very, very good goaltender and Ben Bishop are both out for five months to injury. How do you guys think this affects Dallas's chance, not just for playoffs, but uh, or not just the Stanley Cup, but playoffs in general and, and the next regular season? What do you guys think? Well, I think you'd have to think that that they, you know, there was some there's some sense that something like this was going to happen because obviously um, the Kadobin signing um, at least from our perspective, I don't think that was a necessary thing to do now. Now it seems like it makes sense. Uh, and everyone, well, after the playoffs uh, finished, um, Tyler Sagan, everything came out about him. I forget exactly where um, where he was injured, but like playing through that for, for however long he did. So um, it's, it's definitely tough, but especially in goaltending, like I, I think they've kind of, they've kind of mitigated the issue as much as they can. Um Everyone saw what Kadobin did for the past few months. So, yeah, losing like there's no doubt Ben Bishop is better, but Kadobin has absolutely proved his worth. And yeah, I mean, I, I won't even try to kind of to kind of um, put down how big of a loss Segan is, but you never know. I don't I don't think it's gonna it's gonna absolutely dismantle their team whenever whenever they try to make another push. Yeah, I would say considering what happened in the playoffs, both these injuries coming out really explains a lot, given the fact that Ben Bishop played a really small role and Tyler Sagan was virtually invisible for 
you know, a good majority of the playoffs and just didn't look like himself for a lot of the games and wasn't effective. You have to think Dallas has a better shot at winning the Stanley Cup in that series versus Tampa Bay if Tyler Sagan is firing how we know Tyler Sagan can play. So given the fact that these two, you know, were very good in the past couple of regular seasons for Dallas, Tyler Sagan's been a good player for the Stars for a long time, Ben Bishop in his brief couple years here. It's really helped the Dallas Stars go from a bubble team to a contender in the Central Division. But for me, at least, I look at these injuries and I don't see how Dallas can get around it. Obviously, it's going to put a lot of pressure on their other center Iceman, but I don't think they have the depth. I think if you're playing Rope Hints as a number one center, he's a little out of his depths right now. And, you know, he's not going to produce like Tyler Sagan normally can. So for me, at least, I think this moves Dallas back into that bubble uh, type area in their division. And it might even push them out of the playoffs, given how competitive, sorry, given how competitive the central is. So we, and we talked a couple I think a couple of weeks ago about Dallas's position, we've talked about teams positions cap wise. And I know we always talk about that's just the cycle of being a contender to a transition team, to a rebuilding team. We've talked about that, but looking at their cap situation, if Tyler Sagan is out and they do suffer some pretty significant losses, both in players they're losing and on the score sheet, do you think it puts them in a worse position when you have certain UFAs such as Alexander Radulov, Joe Pavelski, and then RFAs coming up in Gurionov? Um, and then hence this year, do you think that puts them in a worse position and they could end up losing more forwards or, or players in general? Um, what do you guys think? Yes. I'm, I mean, yeah, like it, it obviously does. You can't, you can't really argue otherwise, but it's just like, I, I, I don't have too much to say on it because it just comes down to kind of how obviously how that, how that situation gets managed. Every team is going to put, be put in a similar situation at some point. Um, I'd, I'd like to think Dallas doesn't have any, any, you know, outstanding um, whatever it may be contracts or just issues in general that, that are going to kind of directly hinder them, but um, it's, it's not going to be easy. And I think it's going to, it'll start to grow clearer um, as you know, the future of the NHL grows clearer, I guess, but um, to answer your question, yeah, it's, it's not going to help, but it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of it, I think is up to, up to the people making those decisions. Nick, one sec before, cause I want to make, make if my question wasn't like perfectly clear. Does this, does this loss and just the team in general, because I'm looking at it and I think it's good. I just don't think it's great with the, with the pieces they have, is this enough to have them contend again and contend for the next? Just, just like years? the team as is the team as Considering is the injuries do, and everything. Can, well, no, 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 no. Obviously not considering the injuries because I don't think we, I think we'd all agree they wouldn't be able to, but even with Sega and Bishop healthy, um, is this enough to contend? And because no one expected Dallas I to think so. this far. Well, like, I, I think we talked about this. We did talk about this quite a bit fresh off the Stanley Cup loss. And I thought, you know, last year was going to be, you know, it, it's hard to get into that position back into the Stanley Cup finals again. It's such a grind to get back there. And I think, you know, Dallas is going to be upset that they didn't take advantage of being in the Stanley Cup final. And they're going to look a lot in hindsight at Tyler Sagan's lack of performance in that playoffs. And that's going to be a reason that's going to be a lot. That's going to be a thing Dallas Stars fans and these players remember from that run is that it essentially did end up being a missed opportunity for them. Also, given the fact uh, of how well Hudobin was playing in net. So, you know, given 
I, I will use the injuries in this context for next year. I think it greatly impacts their chances next year. And if you already look at the timeline of their window, given what Patrick said, the amount of talent they have that's aging and coming off the books in the next one to two years, you know, you take a year away from that Sagan and Hudobin being out injured. Let's say they missed the playoffs this year because of those injuries. Then you've essentially got one more year, one more shot at it before, you know, Dallas has to look at hitting the reset button to a degree especially with their forward group. So I, I would say that this, the injuries greatly hurt their chances of contention. And I would say, you know, a, to a degree, again, it was already going to be tough for them to try and replicate what they did last year. All right. Good stuff, guys. Good answers. Uh, moving on to some RFAs. The Islanders are still making moves. Uh, Defense and Ryan Pollock resigns two years, 5 million. Uh Ryan Pollock, I think, is okay, uh, but that sort of begs the question, of should they have kept Devontae instead, who we've talked about, and especially after this playoff performance uh, on the Islanders' run, he is one of the more underrated defensemen on the team. What do we think of that? Is that – I don't think it's the best contract. They're the same age, and and I guess the term sort of forgives the $5 million cap hit, but I do think Devontae is much better as a two-way defenseman. What do you guys think of this contract? Yeah, I would have preferred uh, that the Islanders kept Devon Taves, especially given, you know, the term and number that he got with Colorado was less than in both, sorry, it was more term and less money than what he got with Colorado. So, you know, that, that leaves a sour taste in the mouth. If you're an Islanders fan, uh, you know, it all comes down to how you rate Pollock versus Taves. The Islanders clearly made a decision here that they would have preferred to keep Pollock um, on a shorter term deal. And that's fine, but if their goal is to be good for the next few years, then I think Devon Taves was the right answer here, and I think they're going to be upset that they missed out on keeping him. And I agree with everything Nick just said. And does he come out of this a UFA? Am I doing my math correctly there? I yeah, I think yep. he does. So, like, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, they like Nick said, they clearly made a decision, uh, and I think I think all of us would probably say uh we would have gone the other way but even then um i think maybe they should have committed to this a bit more than they did i mm. i don't know i don't know what their long-term plan is but it's a it's a little questionable for me at least it's not the other way around where it's gonna hurt them like if they signed a contract that's gonna hurt them for a long time it's it's the opposite it's they yeah they kind of just did this in the for very short term and it's not really going to pay off i don't think looking at their their cap structure now specifically defensemen four of their seven defensemen are all up in 2022 um there is not a single defenseman on that team who is signed past 2023 and you have uh boychuk letty pollock hickey and adam pellick who are all making well adam Pell or thomas hickey is making 2.5 uh boychuk letty and pollock are all making six to or five to six million so it is a very short term I don't want to say mindset, but it doesn't really look like there's a long-term projection here. And now the Islanders have about 3 million in cap space to work with. And Barzal is the only RFA they have, and they're going to have to shed some salary because these aren't really, a lot of these contracts are hard to move. Anders Lee um, is signed for six more years at $7 million. Brock Nelson, uh, five more years at $6 million. Jordan Eberle, uh, four more years at $5 million. Andrew Ladd, they're still hanging on to that contract, uh, three more years, $5 million. 
the only really movable contracts you have would be Casey Sezekis and Cal Clutterbuck. But even then, you're going to have to move maybe Thomas Hickey as well because you can, you don't have space for Barzell right now. And it's not like these contracts from Lula Morello are the most movable deals. So how do you guys think they work around this? And how do you think they get a deal done with Matt Barzell? Because look, you look at a situation like Columbus. Columbus has space to sign Pierre-Luc Dubois. It's just a matter of when. But in the Islanders situation, this is more a matter of how are they going to work around this to make sure uh, Barzell gets a deal done. Because if he, if he for whatever reason, gets offer sheeted, and that's a topic for another show, the Islanders are in a lot of trouble because they don't really have that top end talent. So how do they get, how do they get a deal done here? Well, like you said, with uh, when you're reading off all those forward contracts, it's complete contrast to what they have on defense. Whereas all the forwards are locked on these big expensive deals. And, you know, that goes back to what the Islanders plan has been since Lou Lamarillo took over as GM. It's really unclear. And he's locked in a bunch of mediocre assets at this big money. And I think we're seeing how that is now affecting them starting this year. And look, this is, it's still a solid hockey team. They're going to be good uh, as long as Barry Trotz is at the helm here. And we saw that last year, how effective they can be. But at the end of the day, um, you know, they need, they do need to find somehow find some money to re-sign Matt Barzell because you take away him being the fact that he is probably the only game breaking type talent on this team right now. You take that out of the equation, and this is a bottom five team in the National Hockey League for me. Um, so, it, but again, you don't want to take away a Clutterbuck or a Sezikis because at the with all the big expensive contracts, those are probably two of the only semi-effective guys. You're going to want to somehow shed an Andrew Ladd who was playing for the most part in their AHL affiliate last year. So, I don't know. For me, it just – it's an unenviable position for the Islanders. We all knew they were going to be in this position eventually. Um, but the, it, the Andrew Ladd contract is one for me. They've got to find a way out of because you don't want to take away any of the actual decent NHL talent on this team. Do you guys think Lula Morello is under-criticized? Yes, I think he gets a bit more... Is that a term? We'll make that a term um, today. I'm gonna I'm gonna make that. I, I would say he's overrated. <laughs> I think he, the word you're looking for is like overrated. Is he overrated? The job yeah. he's done with the Islanders. I, I would I would say he is. Um, you know, they've had a couple of really solid years, um, going further this year than anybody thought they would, and making the playoffs uh, the year before when nobody thought they would. Shortly after losing John Tavares, they they have overperformed to a degree. Um, we know the analytics community. Uh, this isn't a team they're very fond of. But I think a lot of people have really just recognized the good job Barry Trotz has done. I think yeah. if there's anybody that deserves credit for making the Islanders play well, it's Barry Trotz. Not to say that this is a completely, you know, terrible team, but there is a lot of mediocre assets here. There's no real game-breaking players outside of Barzal. So I would say Lou Lamarillo maybe should get a bit more criticism, especially if for some reason they end up losing Matt Barzal. It's yeah, all trots. It's all I, Well, yeah, that's what I was just like. I think move some of the praise for Lamorello and just move it on to trots. I think that makes sense. I don't think Lamorello is a has done a bad job, and I think on a grand scale, he's a good GM. Um, but I I would agree he's definitely a lot of the focus seems to be on him um, when I think it should probably be elsewhere a bit. All right. Yeah, I hope they get a deal done. I like Matt Barzell. I like the Islanders. I like the, the sort of. I love the fans. Like the playoff games are among the most exciting in the entire league. And um, I think they're a very fun team and not even just the whole Tavares coming back and all of that 
the chance and stuff, but just playoff games in Nassau are so unbelievably exciting. So I, I hope they do find success. I just, um, Lula Morello seems like someone, especially on Boomer Twitter, that gets a lot of praise um, for his, whatever, his old school mindset and all of his. Boomer Twitter. Yes. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's uh, let's move on from that. That's hooked into Boomer Twitter. Big yeah. Time. Uh, let's move on to Anthony Mantha, another uh, key RFA that was re-signed by Detroit. Uh, four years, 5.7 million. That's a fa- that's fantastic value for Anthony Mantha. Uh, he's super underrated. He's so fun to watch. Good play driver, good shooter. This is a good deal. Detroit seems to be making really good moves this offseason, both in the draft, free agency, everything. Uh, what do we think? I think they're going to turn this thing around a lot quicker than people think. Um, you know, I would look not to the degree that Colorado turned it around, being from 48 points to what would they do? They doubled it the next year after and yeah. made the playoffs that one year, um, you know, not to that type of speed, but I think at least, you know, give it two more years. And I think Detroit's going to be looking real good. Um, you know, it helps when you are rebuilding a team and you already have very good NHL talents like Dylan Lark and Anthony Mantha at your disposal. And I think that's one thing Detroit has, you know, definitely had an advantage in. So keeping him around a guy that, you know, is going to contribute across the board uh, as long as he's signed it's a good move for Detroit. Uh, I, I, any way you look at it for me. Yeah, I think, and not to say like Mantha isn't, uh, isn't a big factor in Detroit or just as a player in general, I think this is a very, very safe, um, a very safe contract. And yes, it's a very good contract too. Like, like you guys have mentioned, I think, I think at least I get a sense from Detroit throughout their whole rebuild i mean like it's it's been bad for a few years like right detroit has been very bad a struggle a struggle to watch but they haven't they're they're not they're not panicking i guess to to kind of claw their way out of a rebuild they're just slowly putting pieces together making making signings like this um that i like i i don't know if i totally agree with you nick that they're gonna they're gonna kind of get it going faster than expected, but they're, they're certainly, I just, I feel a slow and steady, um, slow and steady move upwards here over the next four few years. I'm just really happy they picked Lucas Raymond and I hope he proves a lot of people wrong. I'm a big Lucas Raymond fan. That has nothing to do with Anthony Manta. That's a good contract, but I don't have much else to say. Uh, it would be nice for them to figure it out because when the Red Wings are exciting, the league's a lot more fun. And I feel like they're a f- pretty, like no one really, no one really hates the Red Wings maybe penguins fans but i feel like they're they hard were pretty they, they were like pretty i don't know notorious like 10 15 years ago like yeah they were but, around but yeah no but i mean it's not like people hated them i don't know anyone who hates the red wings i don't really care about them but i have no oh, i didn't this. like them back then just oh. because uh family ties with the blackhawks and you know they had some real competitive playoff series back then so the red wings weren't a popular choice in my house Oh, never mind that. Okay. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's talk about the New York Rangers and let's, well, they signed Ryan, they resigned uh, Ryan Strom two years, 4.5 million. Um, he played a lot with Panarin and a lot of people think he sort of overachieved. Do you think this cap hit is indicative of his overachievement or do you think he's worth this much money? Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I would definitely say this is more, speaking to his overachievement and I definitely don't think Ryan Strom I I can't remember off the top of my head how many points he went or he had last year I'm just looking it up quickly 
Um, he had 59 points last year and that shattered his career high. Um, he had 50 previously in his sophomore season with the New York Islanders, but that was all the way back in 2014, 15. So you're looking at about a five, six year gap since he'd had that many points. And, um, you know, I don't think that speaks to what his true ability is. I don't think he's a, you know, bubble 60 point scorer. I think he is more accurately a third line type player, you know, probably good for 30 to 40 points, um, maximum. So I would say playing with Panarin definitely inflated his value in a bit. And I think the Rangers are paying money for that inflation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, like there's no denying playing alongside Panarin would do that. And I just think the Rangers were in, were in that position. I, I, I think there were better, um, better options to, to go about filling that spot. Um, not to say like he, he clearly, he clearly can produce regardless of, well, like even if he's playing with Panarin, but I, I just, I think there were better options, cheaper options because the Rangers are not like, they don't have a lot of money um, to be, to be throwing around. So I, I just think maybe a bit short-sighted to, to do that with Ryan Strom and leave the rest of the team. And I, Pat, I think you're going to get into that in a second here. Yeah, we are. Leave the rest of the team uh, with I th- like five or six or seven million, something to, uh, to deal with. A little over six mil. But that's the thing. I agree with everything you guys said. And before we get to what Nick just pulled up, I do want to say there's nothing wrong with like Ryan Strom as a player. And there's nothing wrong with those types of players. We've seen it with Crosby, someone like Chris Kunitz. Um, some players serve better as complementary players than others. And Panarin also just is that good. But I think the term sort of forgives it because then they can work on a deal and probably maximize his value. If he does continue that production uh, and, and, and move on from him and maybe get some more assets to sort of not expedite the rebuild because they've done it rather quickly, but sort of uh, help continue the process. But I saw this tweet and I want to talk about this with you guys. So for those who can't uh, Joe Fortunato Fortunato, um, He's a managing editor at Blue Shirt Banter. He said um, in response to the Strom contract, unless Gordon has something up his sleeves, the Rangers are basically bringing in the exact same team for next year that clearly shouldn't, that clearly couldn't get done this year, only without Faust and Stahl, but with Lafreniere and Johnson. So yeah, um, that's a that's a fine tweet. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's sort of brought other discussions. And then I, that's sort of the main thing I want to bring up. Um, what do you think of, this specifically is it really that much of a better team and is gordon taking the wrong approach here should he have done like i don't know what else he could have done i don't think there's anything wrong with with re-signing strom and i don't and getting lafreniere is huge so what do you guys think of this yeah it's like it's true um and i'd i'd like to say just because of lafreniere like it it is a better team maybe like i don't think anyone can really predict if immediately the impact will be there but in general, I think it's a better team. Um, I I don't know. I I don't really like this tweet. I don't know how to describe it, but it feels a bit unwarranted. Like it's it's like yeah, that is true, but that's not really the point. Regardless, um, a fact is a fact, and yeah, I don't I don't know if that's a better team, but I feel like that's kind of a that's you're kind of cherry picking an argument there. So I, I don't really know how I feel about that. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I feel like the tweet is overly critical. I feel like it that one specifically, it's, it's more critical than it needs to be because um, while the Rangers squad last year couldn't, as uh, he put it, get it done, you know, they did face a good team in Carolina. Um, I don't think you can overlook that. But you also need to look at the fact that, you know, you've got 
Well, you've got the top uh, heavy guys like Zabanajad, Panarin, Kreider um, that are going to carry another bulk of the offense for this team. You're also looking for growth in some of the younger guys. You know, Kako, Ka- Kapo Kako, sorry, I'm still messing up that name a year uh, in, but Kako, Kapo Kako uh, was not very good last year in his rookie year. So obviously you're going to look for a lot of improvement from him specifically. That's one guy you need to look to. Now you add in another uh, top two pick, the first overall from this year, and Alexi Lafreniere. And, you know, if these guys are playing uh, to what they should be expected to in their early years, then they, it's going to automatically improve the Rangers a lot. Philip Heedle is another young one. You know, uh, Brett Howden, Julian Gauthier, again, on the older side for players breaking in. But, again, they are still young players that can improve. So while you're coming in with the same roster – you're looking for growth at a lot of your talent, especially in the forward positions. Um, so I, I think that's fine. I think their defense definitely needs a lot of work. And I think the fact that they, they went out and added Jack Johnson to it is going to sewer them to a degree. But, um, you know, I, at forward, I think that I do expect them to be a lot better than they were last year. And that speaks volumes considering how potent offensively they were last year. And, I f- think we got to mention the goaltending. Uh, obviously, big change there. No Lunkfist, but full year Shesterkin. Uh, I'm really excited to see how he plays. And full year Georgiev as a backup should be interesting, fun to watch. All right. So you mentioned a couple things there. And a lot of what you said, I kind of saw in the replies, but with a negative twist on it. And someone said, because um, you mentioned like Capo Caco, have, hopefully having a better year. Mika Zabenejad building off of his success. Maybe someone like Jacob Truba can find his game. Uh, we once saw, however many years ago, uh, before he became one of the worst defensemen in the league. Regardless, um, there are a lot of replies that are saying well, you can't really bank on c- career years from veterans and huge go- growth uh, from younger players. Not saying it can't happen, but it's not the most probable. You still have to make key additions. What do you guys think of that argument? Because, and I'll make it about the Habs for a second, because up until this offseason, uh, every offseason prior, people were saying, well, no, uh, hopefully it's another career year from Philip Deneau. Hopefully it's another career year from Thomas Tatar. And then you have these players stepping in and there weren't really key additions. I'm excluding this off season. Is that the right mindset to go about it? Maybe it's different for the Rangers when they're rebuilding. What do you think of this uh, sort of this argument as a negative thing? I'm not, I'm not agreeing with it or disagreeing. I just want to know what you guys think about that. I, it's, I, I think it's, it's an option. It's definitely not a safe option. Um, but if, if a team is in that position where they kind of don't really have a choice, but to, to bank on their, on their older players to, to not necessarily have a career year, but to, to produce to a certain degree, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that because if, if that's your only option, it's not a totally crazy expectation for who, whatever player um, we're talking about, like whoever it is, I, I think that's fair, but it, it is in no way like the safest, the safest bet. I, I think we'd all agree on that. So I think it's very context dependent as with all these things. But like I, I, I think back to, to like Vancouver a few years ago. Um, and I, I always think of Radim Verbata and I, it's a bit different because they brought him in, but, but an older player that was slightly on the downswing in, in uh, Phoenix or Arizona or whatever it was at the time. And then Vancouver brings him in and um, he, he overperformed than, than what they're expecting. So it's, it's like, yeah, you, you can get lucky and you can bank on that, but 
um, I think a smart team or, or a team that's kind of thinking long-term wouldn't, wouldn't do, do that. I think a lot of these criticisms of the Rangers and what the plan is all depends on um, what the expectation exactly is of them next year. Uh, you know, if you're expecting that team specifically to win a Stanley Cup next year, I think that's, you know, way more than a long shot. Um, if you're expecting them to make the playoffs, I think that's a bit more realistic and their roster right now is good enough to do that. But, you know, it, it, a lot of any roster criticisms for any team all depends on what the expectation is. And that's one thing you got to keep in context always for me. Yeah. So I will say I, I, this argument of you can't just expect people to repeat or have even better years um, every single season. I would understand that argument if it was a team like the Vancouver Canucks, like the Montreal Canadiens, teams that are supposed to be transitioning into hopefully what you want is contention. If every single year Mark Bergevin was banking on Tatar and Dano to have career years without actually making any key additions, that's a different story. But with the Rangers case, you got Alexi Lafreniere. You signed Panarin one or two summers ago. You have prospects in Condre Miller. You have uh, Vitaly Krausov. You have pieces. Pavel Buchnevich, I think, will, will become better. So I don't really think this argument makes sense in context to the Rangers, um, but that is one that I think other teams could look at the way they evaluate it. Like, if the, if the Islanders are looking at their team right now and saying, well, we can hope for another run because we did it this year. No, that doesn't make sense. You need more pieces. You need uh, secondary offense. But in the Rangers' case, I think they're in a good position. They're good right now. Um, they will get better with their pieces and, and the market of being in New York, you can attract marquee guys. Luke, you okay. So I feel like we can kind of generalize it because, and I'll, and I'll kind of ask it in a very simple question. Say you have a 28 year old player. Um, don't like contract out of the question. Yeah. Pretend contracts don't exist. You have a 28 year old player and he's putting up 50 points. He put up 50 points when he was 26, 15, when he was 27, 50, when he was 28, how long, do you think you'd be able to expect him to put up 50 points before he starts? Well, that's what going. Nick, we were talking earlier a couple of days ago and Nick, you mentioned something about players primes are actually younger than we expect. A lot of times, I think we assume it's from the 25 to 28 range, but a lot of times it's younger. So I'll answer your question. Then I'll just sort of switch this over to Nick. Cause I think he can bring it up. But I think if, if, I mean, okay, that's a very, very, like broad question because so yeah, much but, influence like someone but I'm basically asking when when do you think it's a reason reasonable to expect your players to start going downhill like I, I think you gen, could put an gen, age on it generally I, I would probably say 29 maybe 30 but okay. again there are instances of players who get 40 points from their from 27 to 30 and then mm. when they're 32 they put up like 70 so yeah uh, but if I were to just sort of ballpark an age I would probably say 29 30 but again, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I you did bring up the aging curve and how long you can expect a player to remain productive. I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of, you know, people vary on that right now because some players are the odd case remain very productive into their mid thirties. And uh, I would say it's about 50% right now. If we're talking like truly elite uh, players, they're still remaining decently productive into their thirties. Um, but in terms of general primes of players right now, I don't think it's uh, as old as it once was. I think a lot of analytics models will tell you now it's a lot younger than it used to be. Probably around the age of 23, 24 is when they're truly hitting their prime. So uh, I don't know. It, it dep all depends on what your expectations. All depends on the individual player. I, I don't think uh, in the example you gave, Lou is a good example, but I don't think it's when you can just generalize 
um, because it all depends on a lot of the different trends of the player, how they're getting their points. Are they primary? Are they re racking up secondary points? Um, that is a big determining thing for me. So it, it depends on uh, the specific case for me. Um, I would bring up someone like Jacob Voracek. And this is just, this is just development. Development is so weird. Players developmental curves are so strange. Voracek for like the first three, four seasons in his early twenties um, was consistently getting under 50 points. And then he's what, 27 now he's getting up there anyway, late, late. Oh no. Uh, 2014 in his late twenties, he had 81 points. So I know that's like sort of a hyper-specific player, but still, I think it mostly depends on development. But if I were to pick an age, I'd say 29. What would you, what would your age be Luke? If you were to guess, what? I, I, I was going to say a bit higher. Um, like I was thinking 31, maybe 32, um, but after this discussion, I would probably change my mind, go lower. So are we saying this is when a player like caps off? Yeah, like just when when do you think you would be able to expect a player to to start producing less in various? I also I would say I would say produce less around age twenty nine, and I would say cool off by thirty two. Yeah, yeah, I would I say could. typically for probably. Me, I'd say that makes a lot of sense, but I think. I think you notice like a big step down once they hit around 31, 32. And also contract years play into that. There are so many players who are unbelievable in the contract years, sign a big deal. And then they're like, okay, well, I don't have to yeah. perform to that. Um, all right. Good conversation. I don't, I don't want the Rangers to do well. They bug me, but let's talk about it. Yeah. Never heard that before. Why is that? 2014. I don't want. That's fair. I like that's fair. The, the want, Senators like, have had a couple big grudge matches with the New York Rangers, uh, 2012, 2017. I still look back and laugh at 2017 specifically because I think the Rangers actually might have won that series if yeah. they weren't scratching Ta uh, Pavel Buchnevich <laughs> for Tanner Glass. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah no, I, I, I could see why they both. But it's like, I, it's like do you want Pittsburgh to there, do there's well? There's a certain, certain couple of players on their team that bug me. Um, yeah. We don't have to name them, though. Uh, no, I don't ever really want Pittsburgh yeah. to do well either. It kind of comes back to your personal experiences. Okay, I get it. I respect it. <laughs> um, the Oilers signed Cahoon. Again, we've talked about this. We've talked about the Sabres. Why didn't they qualify him? It doesn't make any sense. He's a perfect middle six winger, ideally probably a third line left winger who can generate offense. He's he's a smart hockey player. Um, let's. Uh, I'm going to pull up or I'll get the Oilers lineup. Are they a good hockey team? Well, Here's the thing. Like, I, I want to say yes. Um, they've got a heck of a heck of a top nine uh, in their forward core, really. Like that, they, they're they're and I think that's why they're so fun to watch is because their forwards are so good and they've gotten even better uh, with Turris and now uh, Cahoon. But but other than that, I don't know why they didn't go out and get a goalie. Um, they just they just made a recommitment. Uh, that being said, if they did that, they probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to get Turris or Cahoon. Regardless, uh, it's tough because they're going to score a lot of goals, but they're probably going to let in a lot of goals too. Um, but it goes even further. I, I have a lot of questions about this team because when you look at when you look at this team, is there? Um, and this isn't totally a rhetorical question. Is there a bad contract on that team? Like a, like a bad anchor contract? I don't really see one. There's, there's definitely James a few Neal. questionable ones. Uh, I was going to say on the defense, nothing terrible, just a few that are a bit heavy. Um, 
James, yeah, James Neal as well. But again, like nothing that's totally dragging them down. It's a, and that, and all that being said, uh, they're, they're at the cap. So it's a, I don't know to answer your question, Pat, I don't know, but that was a long, <laughs> a long way to get to, I don't know. Um, I, I think I, I sorry. Go ahead, Nick. Okay. I think, uh, this look, I don't know what happened to Kyle Turris. And I know we talked earlier, Luke, and you had mentioned a couple episodes ago following the big free agent frenzy that you thought this was one of the more underrated, if not your favorite move, um, sort of a subtle one that, that adds a lot more depth. We t- endlessly talked about how Edmonton does not have the secondary scoring. They don't have a lot of depth and this adds it. Um, I love the Tyler Ennis fit there. James Neal is someone who can, regardless of his age, and he might not be worth that money, who can still produce. I think they are a better team, but I don't look at them and I, I don't think this is a good team. Um, I think again, in this year with so much talk from the analytics community about how brutal, um, McDavid or specifically dry are defensively. I still think there are concerns with this team. And I think they need that one more piece. Well, I guess two more pieces, one on defense. I, I'm not really convinced or sold on their defenses ability to transition. And I do think they need like a, another finisher, like a pure finisher in their middle six who can really put the puck in the net. I think it's an okay team who will only go as far as McDavid and Dreisaitl will carry them, but I don't think they're good yet. Can I ask you, just sorry, Nick. Um, I think I in terms you... of... No, sorry, you go ahead, Nick, you go ahead. I'll, I'll circle <laughs> no, back. No, you go ahead, you go ahead. You ask him, it's a follow-up. <laughs> okay, if if you weren't considering defense or goaltending, and if you're just looking at all the teams, uh, 12 forwards, where would you where would you rank this forward group? Uh, out of all the 31 hockey teams? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, like... Hockey's so random. You, I can't. No, but I like you know what I'm asking. Like just, right? Like gr- in the like, context of the whole league. Yeah, can you quickly rank all 31? <laughs> no, like where would you? Because personally, I think it's one of the best. I don't. I don't think. Uh, again, it it depends on on the play. Can you pull that back up, Nick? I'm sorry. I need a visual, a visual learner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Give me a minute. Sorry, I gotta find it again now. I, don't, I can't talk until I see it. <laughs> like I said, like there's oh, really? th- those top no, three lines. It is, it's good, but it's it's. So wait, I'm exclu- okay. Yes, if I am excluding goaltending and defense, this is pro- this is a good this is a good lineup. But I don't think it's enough to have them contend. And we saw it in the playoffs. You need uh, you need secondary scoring, and you need. I think uh, they have secondary scoring. I think they personally. could have. They do, and I'm not okay. I'm not saying they don't. I just think it could be better but you're asking me to ignore two parts. Yeah. Of yeah. Team. I know it's a, it's a stupid question. I shouldn't have asked it, but no, you, know you can, what I mean, uh, I would give it a seven and I feel like a seven. Yeah. I don't know. Again, however, however much McDavid and Drysaddle can carry them, but even though you told me not to factor in goaltending, I'm going to factor in goaltending okay, yeah. and defense. Yeah. So yep. I'm not going to, it's a good, it uh, never mind. I don't want right, to go ahead. I'll finally get go my ahead. thoughts out on this team. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think the Oilers, when we look at uh, off-season winners, I think they're one that not enough people have mentioned because I think uh, Ken Holland's actually done a really good job of supplementing their offense. And you, we looked at it there. Um, obviously, the addition of Cal Terrace, a big bet, but if he can give you um, part of what he was giving the Ottawa Senators a couple of years ago, I think you'd be really happy with him as a third-line center. Um, I like the addition of Cahoon and Ennis I think they're both very good complementary players that I think I, I, I like Cahoon especially because I think Dreisaitl or McKinnon will be able to get a good amount of offense out of him because 
He doesn't have a huge NHL sample size, but has been at least, you know, played to a 40 point pace in his couple of years. So I think Drysettle McKinnon or McDavid, sorry, have proven to be able to pump those numbers up for those types of players a bit. We look at somebody like Zach Cassian, they were able to do that to a degree. So I do like Cahoon especially. And I think Ennis is probably good for 40 points on this Oilers team. So in terms of offense, I think they're there and that's, you know, as decent of an offense as you're going to get in the NHL. And they should be happy with that right now. Defense and goaltending are the main issues for this team. They have been for a long time. Um, we mentioned, or somebody did, the lack of a game-breaking defender. I think they might have one down the road in Ethan Bear. I really like him. I'm a huge fan of his. Um, and, you know, it depends if or when Evan Bouchard can step into the NHL lineup and right. be effective for them. That's somebody you've got to look out for. Um, but in the immediate future, it all hinges on goaltending for me. Luke pointed out I didn't like the addition, uh, or the decision rather, to re-up Mike Smith. I thought there were better goalies on the market that they should have attempted to chase down. Um, and I think just re-signing Mike Smith was a bit of a cop-out. But uh, if uh, Koskinen is as good again next year as he was last year, then I think they're fine. And I think especially in a Canadian division, I think they can make the case for being at least maybe the second best team in that division right now. Um, depends how you guys in Vancouver and Montreal stack up next year. But given the uh, individual impact of both Dreisaitl and McKinnon, I would probably favor the Oilers. All right. All right. Quite yeah, the answer. That's no, um, no, it's, no, I, again, and I didn't answer Luke's question because I just, I can't, I have a hard time isolating their forwards when they're uh, defense. I'm just not sold, especially goaltending. Koskinen, when that contract was signed, was wildly criticized but he's done okay and there's only uh two more years on it and he's yeah he'll, he'll be 34 when it's up i do think i do i don't think it's the goaltending just uh situation is that dire as people are saying mike smith is only 1.5 and costing at 4.5 two more years it's not that big a deal it's not good it's not what you want but it's not the worst thing ever and i feel like a lot of the criticism for the costing contract was sort of um exaggerated although i don't know that Edmonton would be one of the better ones in the Canadian division i feel like i would point to toronto i would probably point no they i i obviously didn't mention them i was more so going for um edmonton being the second best team in that division not the first i would oh, i think toronto, toronto vancouver best. well unbiased opinion i think toronto mm-hmm. vancouver are the top two for sure i think toronto I think, and then i would i think toronto is a good deal ahead of everybody yeah. Um, in terms of next year, but I, I, I still think Vancouver's taken a bit of a step back in the off season. So I, I, I think they're now more with the rest of the pack. Yeah. I just, I like the game breaking impact of uh, McKinnon and Drysdale more than I like um, Vancouver's team. No offense, Luke, and I, I, think I, I still like it more than. I think you've said McKinnon instead like of Mc, instead well, of McDavid. You've said it multiple times, and have, it's really we throwing have McKinnon me. McKinnon on the rundown. Yeah. McDavid and Drysdale. Sorry. Wait. Um, I still like their ability to break a game more than I like anybody on Vancouver or Montreal's roster too. Wait, were you saying, and I'm not disagreeing, were you saying by side Vancouver would be second or do you actually think Vancouver would be second, Luke? I, I actually do think Vancouver would be second. Okay, I'm just asking. I like <laughs> Calgary, no. Winnipeg, no. Ottawa, Why? Montreal, no. Okay, I don't, Montreal, I don't... Montreal's 
close. A lot of the boys on TSN seem to think that Montreal and Toronto. Yeah, they don't know. They be... don't know what they're talking about. Um, oh, okay. Edmonton and Montreal. I think I, I agree. Toronto up at the top. Um, I think Ottawa, Winnipeg, Calgary are out of the question. Um, I don't think Calgary's out of the question. I don't like Calgary, and I think they're overrated. But I don't think they're. Out of the I question. do. I don't think Calgary or Winnipeg are out of the question. I think the only one that's out of the question is the Senators. I think I, I think because the Senators last year, you look at that division, we're the only team not trying to make the playoffs and they, they won't next year. They're not better than they were last year. I think definitely uh, Calgary and Winnipeg are, you know, probably a group behind the four teams that so we I, mentioned. Yeah, There's I agree. So three tiers here, but I still yeah. think that they're like at least playoff bubble teams. So if I had to tier them, Toronto, and then I'd put Vancouver, Edmonton, and Montreal. But out of those three, I put Vancouver at the top, and then I'd put Calgary, Winnipeg, and then I'd put Ottawa. I would put Vancouver at the top, but you're banking a lot on someone like Demko, who was bailed out consistently by Markstrom, and then Holtby, who was so inconsistent this year. That's I think a, that's well, that's a I big agree gamble. With you, but... I, it can work, and I'm not saying it won't. But that's a big gamble to put on to put Vancouver ahead. I think. Look, I've said it before. I don't, I don't think Calgary is that good of a team um i think this year they were a little unlucky shooting wise with monahan and goudreau and i do think goudreau's lack of production is kind of concerning jay fresh sort of had had a graph where it shows his production and then it just dips straight down and it's sort of strange his sort of trajectory but i think if markstrom can perform how he did this year for calgary in front of a an, a good core then i think calgary is up there i don't think calgary's a write-off but i i would have toronto way ahead and then I, I do think Montreal and Vancouver are close. And I, I do think Montreal is pretty close. And I don't know, just going off. With the guy. You don't think the Oilers are? Again, like Vancouver goaltending. I, I am not sold on the goaltending or defense. I don't but... know why people can't trust Holtby and Demko. Right, but are you, like, are I... you really sold on the Habs goaltending? Because it hasn't been yes. good in a regular season for a long time now. But again, uh, I am I am sold on Well, I can't say I'm sold on it this year. But looking back, Price... There was a, a, a graph, I don't know who tweeted it out, but it showed the last four years of Price's play. Starts off slow, and then I think it's November, it just dips. And it's it's dipped for like the last four seasons. And I do think the thing with Price, and I've said it before, he's been overplayed. He is playing way too many games, and they haven't had a good backup. And I honestly do think if it's a condensed schedule in a Canadian division, having Jake Allen, who is a very good backup, I think that, I think that could be one of the best tandems in the league if that's biased, but I do think that's, I think that's interesting. Could... I, I just think you're hinging a lot on Carey Price to replicate what he did in 10 games. And, you know, this is a whole other discussion we can have. Cause I think, you know, I, I would still have the Oilers in my opinion as the second best Canadian team right now, just because I think, you know, the Vancouver and Montreal fandom, and I'm going to completely piss off two people in this chat right now, <laughs> but I think, I think with regards to both of them, I think a lot of the fandom and how much we're talking about them has just come completely out of last year's playoffs. And a lot of that, you know, is earned, but I think we've still got to look to what next year is and what that is going to translate to over a full season or whatever, I, how full of a season we get, right? I get what you're saying, but I, I honestly think Van, what Vancouver did in the playoffs last year was was an extremely good sign. And I'm not just saying this, but I don't think you can compare much what Montreal did to what Vancouver did. Montreal sounds like you're getting beat, upset. Montreal beat Pittsburgh in how many games? Uh, I don't know. It happened so fast. Give me a second. I'll have to Google it. But that's kind of what can I'm I, saying. Like five or six. I think it was five or six. It well, but couldn't have been. That's six, a bit. Why couldn't they beat them in four games? 
Montreal. No, no Montreal did not sweep games. Pittsburgh. Montreal did not sweep Pittsburgh. No, it was for, best of for, five. Yeah, but it was a best of five. So that was best of five. So that's what I'm saying. Like, all right, those best those best of five series are they? I'm not saying they're they're totally meaningless, but Vancouver beat Minnesota, then beat St. Louis, then took Vegas to seven. I just I think, but do you I, not I don't think? Know. But can I can I? I can say just as easily say that, that Luke might punch me after. Can I just say something? Oh no! Yeah, we're not in the like studio. Like my legitimate anymore. take, my legitimate take on the Vancouver Canucks. I'm I think if like Thatcher Demko goes in in Game Five against Vegas and gets blown out, we're talking about if the Vancouver Canucks are going to make the playoffs next year, not how far they're going to go. That's Honestly, like if, my legitimate. If that opinion. happened, if Thatcher I Demko wouldn't... doesn't play, if he doesn't play three good games, or two wins and and I, I forget how he did exactly in the game seven he was solid still but okay yeah, we'll call it three very... good games Thatcher Demko isn't good for three games we're debating if this team is making the playoffs or not and I agree and honestly if 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 he came in and he just blew the series I mean it was already pretty much lost but if he just if he lost that game five I the Vancouver might have gone a different route Jacob Markstrom still might be the goalie um but he, he played three good games, and that's kind of what I've been saying. It's a huge risk, and I think that's why they brought in – well, I kind of know that's why they brought in someone like Holtby. Someone inconsistent years. like Holtby? <sighs> but he is. I'm not – look, it, it can work. And Holtby one bad year. Of, like, no, but Holtby on top of his – it can work. I'm just saying you're banking it, a lot on two on – That's two what a risk is, though. Like that's. I know it's a risk, but the risk – it seems to be more of a concern for everyone but Canucks fans. And Canucks fans are like, oh, it's a good risk. It'll be fine. It's like it could be, but it seems like a very absolutist approach to just be like, yeah, it will be. And what you said about uh, Vancouver, oh, yeah, well, they just beat Minnesota and then St. Louis. I can easily just say the exact same thing about Montreal. They beat Crosby, Malkin, and the Penguins. Like, I, I can. In, I, in, in a shortened series. Okay, and then they and then, took and then they took the Flyers to six games. The, the who a lot of people thought the Flyers were the team to to upset so many teams. The Flyers played very well. I don't think that's equal. I don't think I, I get what you're saying. You don't think don't you think, don't think the Flyers think equal near the end. The the Flyers played excellent down the stretch, and a lot of people thought. No, I I agree. I and, and I think they were my them, cup pick. Right, and they were but, a lot of people's cup pick, and I think Montreal taking them to six games in games that were actually pretty close. The final one was only a one goal game. I think that that's just as, not just as impressive, but it is very impressive. And I don't think you can just say it's not the same thing. It's like, hey, I, I'm they just were expected saying to get swept by Tampa and they beat them. What Vancouver did was I think a lot, a lot but more meaningful than what. Of course Montreal it is did. when you make it that far, but it's, I also think it's very meaningful when you have a team that was written off and was basically said, well, there's no point for them to, they were the last team. They were the 24th team. And they beat Crosby and the Pens, and they took a lot of people's cups pick cup picks to Game Six. I don't know how you can't say that's meaningful. That's very meaningful, is it not? I I just I think like you said it there. They were the twenty fourth team. They shouldn't have been in the playoffs anyways. They they Agreed. made these playoffs. They they beat Pittsburgh in a five game series, and then they won two out of six games okay. against Philadelphia. But like we can look back at our episodes earlier this summer where people thought the five game series would work to Pittsburgh's advantage and Crosby. And I think you were, you were the one who picked Pittsburgh in a short. No, series. I said the five game series is going to work to Montreal's advantage because a five game series is so dependent on goaltending. And I said, Carey price, I think he's the best goaltender in the league. If he gets hot, Montreal is taking that series. And he okay, did. Well, I want to listen back. Cause I have a feeling, okay, but, but right. did you, st- who did you predict would win? Cause I feel like it was Pittsburgh. That series. I, I genuinely don't remember. I probably would have said Pittsburgh. I said a Pittsburgh sweep. Cause I didn't think price was going to do it. I, he did it. 
that's pretty much all there was to it. I don't know. And, you know, less punching me than what Luke's going to do next time I see him. But like with Patrick uh, and the Habs, like, I just, I don't know. I, I have to see what Carey Price offers next year. And, you know, Jake Allen was really good as a uh, backup, like a one B last year. Uh, and again, we're, we're operating under the assumption he's going to do that again. And there is cause to think so. But if he goes back to being the, uh, Siv he was at a lot of times during his tenure with the St. Louis Blues. All of a sudden, we're looking at a very uncomfortable tandem in Montreal. Uh, but if, as Patrick, you peg them, they could be one of the best in the league. This could go I, like completely. It's one way or the other. It's going to be one of the best in the league, or it's going to be an absolute disaster. Do you really? Uh, but do me. you really think even? Because I I don't agree with that. Because even if you take out Allen, I don't think you can look at Montreal's goaltending and say it's a disaster. It wasn't a disaster when they had. No one, no one considered it a disaster when they had Al Montoya or Keith Kincaid or Alex Ald. I did. No one considered that. But I know, but okay, well, you specifically. <laughs> but it's like it was always Carey Price that is the deciding factor. But the issue was he was not getting enough rest. And he was the one of them, if not the most overplayed goalie in the last three seasons. Now you alleviate that by someone who can actually steal games. Yeah, and who knows? Like you said, depending on how many games we get next year, could totally help carry price and the Montreal Canadians in that. Like it, it, it all depends. And even looking past the goaltending and it, you know, we should probably move on soon, but yes. for me, Montreal's defense, uh, it, again, how much are they going to use Jewel Edmondson, Ben Chirai, yeah. and all the other uh, super iffy guys? That is yeah. an entire issue on its own. We, we agree. We will agree there. Um, this wasn't even a topic we were supposed to. This wasn't, into. but Hey, this, no, is good. We, this was completely natural. The most passionate and, uh, yeah, the most passionate discussions comes come from when we don't have it written down because we're not really, it's all, you know, off the top of our head. Anyway, let's, um, let's talk about the OHL. There will be no checking or physical content in games this year. Um, the season is set to begin early December. Um, look, this is so stupid. Is that this for is sure? So stupid. That's is that confirmed? Sure. I'm pretty sure it's confirmed. I it, apparently the Ontario Health Minister is not budging on that. So that even though Doug Ford has come out himself and said yeah. uh, he isn't wild about it, wants to look for some uh, alternative arrangements on it. But still, it's uh, it, it seems like it's for sure. Do we have Bob McKenzie's reply to that? Because Bobby Margarita went off and I was. Yeah, no, you, you talk out your thoughts. I'll find out. No, uh, I just think I'll it's find... stupid. You're going to have, you're going to have players who are beside each other on the bench. You're still within proximity when you're battling for pucks. You have traveling on coach buses with different drivers. You have hotels, you have going back to see family and other players going to see their family. The issue, this is not a, a body checking issue this just seems like a really strange short-sighted yeah. uh it like it's it's just so stupid i don't really have much else to say yeah, it's just like, so dumb because there's so, so many other factors that can end up getting you covid it's not yeah. it's not physical contact it's like yeah it's it's weird that that they seem to be targeting this because it's it's clearly not like you said it's not the issue um if it would almost make more sense if they just said no, like no OHL this year. That makes sense. But to say, yeah, you can play hockey and do all these things, but you can't hit each other on the ice. It, I don't know. doesn't make sense. Yeah, here, I, I won't pull the full thing out because it's a massive thread, but just to quote Bob McKenzie a bit, he just genuinely asked, like, can somebody explain to me how so-called body checking is inherently more threatening 
with COVID than standard battles for the puck that are essential aspects of even so-called non-contact hockey. And that's completely true uh, for me. You know, I'm the first person to say to shut stuff down and to maintain physical distancing and to, you know, just keep life not normal right now until this battle is done with COVID-19. But if you're going to play hockey like this, like I, I don't know. I just don't see the difference or a big enough difference at least between body checking and puck battling and sitting beside guys on the bench. And like you said, Pat, all those things, I just don't see a big enough difference. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, this is just, it seems like it's like PR from the province of Ontario yeah. just saying, Hey, well, we took, we took body checking out of hockey. Like, look, we're really stepping up to the fight of COVID-19 and to, you know, sort of cover up things that are going else going on elsewhere in the province, which uh, I don't, I mean, it's not really a topic for this show, Ontario's fight against COVID-19, but that, that's what it seems like to me, at least. The more, the more I think about it, the more it, it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like that's all that there is because saying, saying you're getting rid of body checking, just you're like, that's not the correct battle to pick. And it, it does not make any sense at all. And I, and it, it makes so little sense that I would assume when when whoever and whoever are having these discussions, someone would have said, oh, wait, yeah, like that, that you're right. It doesn't make sense. But I don't know how this is still a thing because there it just there's so many instances on and off the ice where you essentially do the same, if not more, you know, measures of close interaction. And it's just so weird that they they seem to latch on to body checking. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. I haven't thought about it until now, and it just doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah, and and we don't have to get into the, the specifics of the players, but this can affect draft stock. And I know this isn't really the priority of the conversation because it should just be about not having this rule. But again, there are so many players that are looked at for their physical play, and you completely eradicate that. It's going to change a lot of uh, scouts' perception of what makes a good player and if a player is actually good and. Um, Again, it's just so stupid. You're traveling, you're with family, you're with your players. Those players are with their girlfriends. They're at random hotels. Like they're going to different cities. Uh, body checking is not the issue. It's just, this is just really, really stupid. And um, hopefully, I know Nick, you said they weren't going to budge, but hopefully um, there is some sort of change because again, physically. Yeah, Lisa McLeod said they're not budging. She said they're open, like, you know, suggestions with like how to like properly build the season but apparently according to her at least this is not something they're going to budge on which it sucks but i don't know who knows we got to see how it plays out we still got a just over a month i think before they're looking to start the season so things can always change in between then but you know it, it this is going to affect the league uh, profoundly and i know i put these down as like things to talk about it's gonna affect the stock of prospects you know especially ones that brand their game on being a physical presence and stuff like that and tough to play against in the corners because now they can't just go out, throw hits around and battle for pucks like they normally would. It's going to come, it's going to cause players to dramatically change the style of which they play. It's like, uh, it's going to be going back to how we play at Ryerson intramurals. That's what it's going to look like all the time. And, you know, we know how awful that gets sometimes, but <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Maybe, maybe if and, there yeah. is like, we play and there's not really contact, but maybe no contact will lead to like a really massive hit because players are just so frustrated once every three games or something like that. Anyway. Um, yeah. yeah that, that's the thing here. Yeah. 
we'll uh, we'll come back to this and ho- hopefully this does change because um, OHL hockey is so much fun. And part of the reason it's so fun is is the physicality, whether or not you agree with fighting. That's, I think that's a separate discussion because physical play is still important and it is vital to hockey and hockey players, um, how they play and how their stock is. Let's uh, let's touch on um, some takes. Um, I feel like it's been a lot of news and we haven't had our takes and we need to have takes because when we disagree on stuff, it's funny. Um, there, there were a lot of takes in that Canadian team's discussion. That's but... true. That's true. Um, and it feels good. It, it, it feels good. Kind of um, let's talk about first lines and let's talk about overrated and underrated first lines. Um, I feel like this has sort of, we talked about it early, early on in take to take. I think it was our first season. It was our first time in the studio. We talked about the, I think it was just a debate amongst our friends in first year of the Rantanen, McKinnon, Landeskog line and the Marshall and Pasternak line. And um, we talked about that. And that sort of brought us to talk today about the most overrated first lines or lines in general and the most underrated lines. Are are we doing specific? Oh, no, we're doing specifically first lines. Sorry, not any line. Um, just for examples for overrated, we have in Minnesota, Kaprizov, Johansson and Fiala, St. Louis, Sanford, O'Reilly and Perron. And then in Chicago, um, Kubalik, Taves and Shaw. What do you guys These are all from the NHL's ratings, by the way. These oh, are that's all what the numbers are. How the NHL listed them. Yeah. That's what the numbers are. The, the, uh, NHL oh, ranks these lines specifically in an article this week that I hyperlinked there. Oh, but that, that's why I had the numbers there beside them. So they did have uh, the Minnesota first line of Kaprizov, Johansson, and Fiala as the 20th best line in the NHL. You know, that's still in the bottom third of the league, but one I do- definitely don't think is better than a lot of the ones uh, that are underneath it right now. Um, just to name a few that are towards the bottom that I thought were decent. Bertuzzi, Larkin, and yeah. Tampa in Detroit. I was I just looking at that one. Good first line. Like, yeah. Um, Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson, you know, no matter what you think of Ryan Johansson, uh, and how, how, you know, he could be a lot better. Um, I'm still taking all all three of those players right now over, um, over any of those wild players on a first line. Like there's a, but even Lee Barzal and Eberle, I would still take over that Minnesota first line. Like that's definitely one I think the NHL overrated. And I, I don't know, it, it, again, it all comes back to expectation. Like we were talking earlier in the show, uh, what you expect for somebody like Kirill Kaprizov to do in the NHL next year. But I, that one seemed way too high for me. Yeah. I, uh, the other one, sorry, go ahead, Luke. Well, I was just going to say um, right off the bat, I still think like just in, in a general sense about this list, um, Colorado and Boston, I still think are one and two. And I still think Colorado's one. No, I still think you can take it either way. Real like I just I still think they're they're pretty movable depending on a lot of things. So I'll just say that right off the bat. I think Toronto is way too high. Um where are Austin they? Matthews Hyman Matthews four. Hyman Matthews, Marner slash Nylander. I might um, put Svechnik. Yeah, I I think the Svechnik and Svechnikov. Aho and Tara Vine in line is pretty underrated. I think Miller Patterson best. Even even though they're sixth place, I I like I think they might be higher. Like I would almost vault them into the top three for me. Yeah, I I would definitely put them ahead of one heck of a line. Yeah, definitely ahead of Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, and Wilson. Especially after we looked at Kuznetsov's underlying numbers, Uh, he's sort of a loose cannon. He's not really. He's sort of a weird player. And again, 
Aho, I think, is one of the most underrated players in the league. I would move Toronto down to under Vancouver, to be honest. I look, Matthews is the best player out of all of them, but Miller, Pedersen, Besser. That, is yeah, that is a fun line. Hyman, um, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, more. Is it fair to put Kapanen with Gensel and Crosby at nine, given the fact that he hasn't really played? That's sort of you really. Yeah, I don't like, know. You see, I, th- that you're hinging a lot of expectation on uh, Kapanen for that because Gensel and Crosby, and if we're talking duos instead of trios, like they're one of the best ones in the National Hockey League, and they've proved that the past few years, but. I, I don't know if you can just staple cap into that and vault into the top 10. I think you got to see, um, you know, there's a lot of assumed ones here, like players that have moved. I know they've got yeah. Taylor Hall, Hornfist. Jack Eichel, and Victor Olofsson at number 12. And, you know, I would almost put that one higher than the Crosby Gensel cap. And then just because I think Hall has a lot better of a chance of being a dynamic uh, game breaking type player than Kapanen does. And same thing with Olofsson, even though they, they're pretty comparable so I would look at those two in Hall and Eichel and say they're better uh, as a duo than Gensel and Crosby are right now. Hexay Dubois and Bjorkstrand is, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I can't say I don't watch a lot of Columbus, but um, yeah, that's number twenty-one. Here, I, I will, I will share my screen and we'll. Uh, you, Pat, what were you saying about here. that one? I'm just looking at it. Oh, you're just saying it. Okay. Do you think it's too high? I'm sharing too low? the NHL's list here. Because I would say that one's. You'd say it's fair value. Um, I no, would. You know probably, what? I might. I might I, put good. I might put Giroux, Couturier, and Voracek ahead of Goudreau, Monahan, and Lindholm. Um, I know that's just one spot, but again, I would. I would. I think we're looking at this season. I'm assuming we're going to look at this past, this past season, right? We're not looking at overall, because Goudreau and well, Monahan have yeah. been pretty brutal the past couple seasons. Um, I would maybe put. All Dallas I'm saying up. is, look out for number twenty-four because I think that line could actually be good if it's. Uh, I, I, I presume that it, Kachuk and Dadnov seem like they're going to be the wing combo. They have Colin White or Logan Brown as a centerman there. I think it's going to end up being Josh Norris, who I think could be like a stealth Calder candidate, given how he played I, his first AHL season. I couldn't so see that I, one. So I, I think they could be pretty decent. Um, I couldn't see that one getting what? above like maybe 18. In well, it depends if Kachuk I've, takes another step up with his offense, if Dadnov performs well, right? Um, you guys can call me bias. I'll take it right now. But Tatar, Deneau, and Gallagher is the most – one of them, like, underrated first lines in the entire league. And I put a bunch of photos in Yeah, it should, it should be in the top 10 yeah. more than it should like, be 23rd. Um, I don't yeah, know about I, top 10, but I, I would put. I would say – I would say – I would say top 10. I would say around 10, like – they are so good. And I don't know if Nick, you can pull up some of the stuff, but like um, I'd say low teens. Yeah. Well, I'd say top 10 and looking okay. at puck IQ Gallagher actually faces like some of the toughest competition in the NHL by comparison of ice time played. And look, Jay fresh had a tweet and I think you can pull up that player card. Um, and the tweet was the myth. The Habs top line has good analytics, but can't finish when the truth is Tatar to Gallagher scored up to expectations a season. And the reason for the small gap between their goals for and expected goals for was actually their goaltending. Um, this is just so good. And when they're on the ice, you can tell that they are just generating a ton of offense and Deneau takes on harsher deployment uh, than a lot of the centers above him. Um, Deneau takes on a lot more defensive ones. So uh, I think this is very, very underrated. And so, so you look at that, yet you're still happy uh, as we t- talked about in previous shows with replacing Deneau with one of Suzuki or Kotkini as early as next year? I think at a, well, I'm saying as early as next year because of his contract. He's a UFA and I don't want him signed long-term to some massive cap hit because he thinks he is this 
phenomenal. I just think at a certain point, you're going to have to give that role to Karkanyemi and Suzuki. If you, but if you look at that, doesn't he have a case? He does have a case, but he's also older. And I'm convinced that Suzuki and Kakanami will become a better hockey player down the line. Fair. Um, yeah, no. So back to lines. I don't know. What would you guys say is the best first line in the National Hockey League right now? Is it, uh, is it as the NHL has it? Is it the line from Colorado with Landis Cog, McKinnon, and Rantanen? I think so. But yeah, if, so. if someone argued Boston, I, I wouldn't. And you're looking at that. playoffs too. What, and I know Colorado's a better team, but also just the way, like, and I'll just say Colorado because we talked so much about how Bergeron realistically is probably the worst on that line or the least best, if you want to put it that way. And Wait, I think you're just, saying Bergeron is, wasn't that like a thing where everyone's like, Oh, how mess, how crazy is it that Bergeron is like the third best? After no, I, I, I literally, I literally think it might be Pasternak. What? Really? Yeah, no, I think it's, yeah. Pasternak doesn't do much in the way of defense. I think, I think Pasternak's ability is that he's just a, Sorry, ambulance driving by. Um, I think he's just an outstanding shooter, more so than he is a play driver. I think Marshawn and Bergeron are two good. of the best play drivers in the entire he is good, hockey isn't he? league. He's still really good. He is good. Bostonok's still really good, but I'm still taking the Boston line. I still think it's the best line in the National Hockey League. Just what they do at both ends of the ice is extraordinary. You can deploy those three, it, those three guys, but especially Marshawn and Bergeron. Any situation, penalty kill, power play, Five on five, those are effective players. Maybe Pasternak yeah. not on the penalty kill, definitely. But given the versatility of those three players, I'm yeah. taking them all day long as the best first line in the NHL. I think I think Nick's maybe convinced me. I think yeah. their their ability to play, like a, I think Bergeron is what is maybe the deciding factor there. His um obviously his known defensive ability might yeah. maybe push them over Colorado. I guess Nick's pretty smart. Nick is pretty Nick, smart. Nick, Nick is Nick is a pretty smart guy. Yeah. Um, no, um, I, I think, think that's the truest thing we've ever said on this show, by the way. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, okay. What do you guys think? Um, what was my question here? What do you think? Aside from who you think is the best, what line do you think is the most exciting? Vancouver. You could put the I, Colorado line in there for me um, for most exciting. Uh, I, I think Svechnikov, Ajo, Tarabinen, who we talked about before, those guys are unreal to watch just because of the different blend of skill sets. As in Svechnikov is so direct, um, such a big forward that can outbattle anybody in the offensive zone, yet also possesses such a delicate scoring touch. And I think the chemistry of Aho and Teravainen being two really shifty players, I think is awesome. I think they're great to watch. Everything okay over there? What is going on outside? Yeah. I don't know what's going on. A fire truck just um, by now. Hopefully everything's okay. My most exciting, I'm looking at this now. Um, Vancouver I, I, has to be. Okay. It has to be? Well, I'm, I, I, I do think it has to be. Like I, uh, I would put it up there, uh, but I do think for me, like, McKinnon's really fun to watch. McKinnon's really fun to watch. So that was Patterson. I think Patterson's really okay. I just, just um okay, let's whatever. Let's uh who, who do you guys think is like excluding Lions, the most exciting player to watch? Like excluding the line they play with, who they play with, just on their own. Um because we say aside from McDavid. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think McDavid's McDavid the most easy I don't answer. think 
I don't think McDavid is the most. Ex- if I were I to include him, I don't think he'd be the most exciting. Well, what's your definition of exciting? Because I enjoy watching a guy at full speed faster than anybody skate from one zone to the other, dancing through guys, splitting defense, and showing yeah. it. That's I think exciting to me. Do you I think th- McKinnon? No, I think. And please really? let me finish my sentence. I think Elias Pettersson. No, I think Elias Pettersson is. Sorry, the- what, Pat? I'm saying this once, and you need to actually calm down. <laughs> I do think Elias Pettersson, he just tries things that I've never seen before yeah, in, okay. in, in little you know spaces. What? I think I might agree with you. In passes, in just his creativity, I, I, it's on just a level that I've never really seen. And I think yeah. at a certain point, and Luke, please do not, like, just let me say this, because I i don't like giving the Canucks I'll a lot of credit. He is just so unbelievable. And, like, you've seen other other commentators opposing commentators be like how does he think of how does he think of doing that i think there's a deke against colorado where it's just a simple one-on-one i don't know what he did some wizardry and it's just he is so exciting and i feel like yes when mcdavid gets going and he's super fast of course that's exciting but for me i don't know what it is patterson's vision his passing his shooting like when he's on the ice I, it's it's a joy to watch for me so i wasn't going to say it because i thought i'd get yelled at um but i would maybe agree i think and like totally serious obvious like i think mcdavid just like he's just he's just such a driving like he just does everything and he's so fast super fun to watch but patrick is correct Pedersen, like he he does things in that people do like before practice, a practice yeah. just kind of messing around like he he is and he's he's very smooth with his feet and i, I don't mean that skating wise he's he uses his feet a lot um, with the puck. He he's very clever with his stick. Like you can, there's I'm sure there's YouTube videos out there. You can just he does so many very interesting and to be honest, maybe unnecessary, but still very effective uh, maneuvers, I guess. And I I totally agree. I think I honestly think in in a three on three. Overtime when it's Pedersen, Besser, and Hughes out there, that that could be another thing. Like, who, what team is the most exciting to watch in in overtime? I, I would maybe have to say Vancouver. In all seriousness, uh, for me, I would say I, I guess my more biased answer has always been Eric Carlson, just because I think all the wizardry that we're talking about that these forwards can do. I think he, you know, since like at least two thousand nine, he's been doing it as a defenseman the edge work in the offensive zone, his ability to just dance through players, even in these tight pressure situations. And he hasn't been able to do it as much in the past couple of years. We haven't seen him do it as much because of his health issues, but still on just a casual night, Eric Carlson's ability to dance around on a blue line in such a tight spot where nobody else does, I think is unrivaled in the NHL. And I'd also argue that in terms of a player that uses a rink to his advantage. Like nobody does it like Eric Carlson. Um, specifically, if you always watch him, how he uses the boards at any angle to make perfect tape to tape stretch passes, I think is brilliant. And I think to me, that's always been very jaw dropping to watch. And for me, he was always the most exciting player. For some reason, I watched. Hopefully, we get to see more of it next year. I watched, I don't know where I saw it, but I watched his, um, his assist on the Hoffman goal. Yeah. Whatever that was like, no, it was Broussard, yeah, I saw wasn't that it? the other day. Wasn't it Broussard? No, it was Hoffman. Which one there's I, I, the saucer pass was Hoffman. Oh yeah. One. And he picks uh, it up like right at the blue line. Um, yeah. Cause it, it, they were yeah, doing my, like my, best my goals favorite, in the last decade or something. 
Yeah, my favorite was the one where against Boston, uh, the game before that, where he picked up the puck in the corner of the offensive zone, lapped around the entire blue line to the other side of the ice where he had five Bruins and Tuka Rask looking at him and then was able to spot Derek Broussard in the back door. Um, that, that was that was always my favorite. I think we, um, were t- we so would yeah. have to separate. Okay, exciting defensemen and exciting forwards. I know, like obviously, but I think my most exciting defense, like Miro Heiskanen, what was it? Remember that video that came out of Dallas, his second shift in the NHL. He's like breaking ankles and going end to end. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, I'm watching like every every single game. He Patterson does something that doesn't make sense and. Um, it's he is fun to watch and i feel like i'd probably give vancouver a little more credit and i'd like them a little more if luke wasn't so annoying about them i'm gonna be completely honest because they are fun to watch um i, I don't think luke is that annoying of a connection i, do. I don't know i, I just, agree I, I, you know what i think I, I, agree. I guess i don't talk to luke as much outside of this show as you do because i patrick patrick seems constantly i think i'm very reasonable in my luke takes and opinions i think he's generally pretty reasonable <laughs> in the i think our, our our texts over the course of the playoffs really uh really sort of made it known that luke Luke's i was a, fairly civilized pat was angry a lot and i just i can remember that a lot of I, i've always texts. said this show my friendship with either of you with anybody wouldn't exist if we were friends when the senators were good like i've i've said that from the beginning so just be just be thankful they're uh bottom feeder while you guys yeah. know me luke i don't think you have any grounds for saying that the texts i received were anyway whatever Ugh. Ugh. hey let's anyway. talk about, let's uh let's rank some defensemen in the nhl because the nhl the nhl did that this week yes and we are going to disagree with it and make our own because we are smarter so let's get I actually to that kind of agree with it um the nhl's to or, you or for or your own part okay I, I think this is more reasonable than ones they've done in the past, but I yeah. don't think it's good still. I think there's still a lot wrong with it. Okay. Um, Do you have it up, Nick? Or Yeah, I'm going to pull up the uh, 10 to 20 first. Oh, sorry. That's 1 to 10. Like I, I would not have expected the NHL, and I'll wait for it to get up so I don't spoil it, but usually when the NHL makes these lists, they don't have a player like can you go to one to ten well i wanted to do I, 11 to 20 first, okay so then i'll, I'll, I'll wait I'll, I'll state my opinion in a yeah. second okay um, um what stands out for you guys i think for me it's having theodore at 14 and having burns ahead of him um i don't think i agree with that whatsoever i feel like drew yeah not the, been the up bias to, yeah drew doughty has the yet bias to, on the older guys is here yeah, like I don't mind Theodore at 14 because I think everyone knows he's going to be one of the best defensemen in the league maybe in the next year. But I don't mind him at 14. But I, like you said, Pat, I do mind him behind Brent Burns. So um, I think he is one of the best defensemen in the league. I don't think it's a matter of he will be. I, th- I yeah, honestly think he is. I, I don't think where, – so where would you put him number-wise? Uh, probably 8 to 10, 7 to 10. I don't know. Okay. I, I but that again, is, I also think having, again, I love Shea Weber, but he is just riding his reputation at this point and having him ahead of Jacob Slavin. I really disagree with Eric Carlson as well. Um, again, I like Weber, but Wait, would you, would you have him outside of the top 20 right now? Carlson? Uh, Carlson or I Weber? Wouldn't. Carlson. No, I would not because injuries. Yeah, no, I, I, again, again, for him, it's just, it's, it's, he's the hardest one to read for me on this list yeah. because 
you just don't know if you're basing this on what you know Eric Carlson can do right now he's probably still arguably at least in that top five at least top seven if you're basing this right now in the past couple of years and what he's been able to do then yeah you're obviously looking on the other closer to the exiting of the top 20 but he's the hardest one to get a read on on this list and that all comes down to the injuries um so yeah, yeah I I, again that. I I like the I, I don't know. Zach Wierenski, Zach Wierenski is not the 12th best defenseman in the National Hockey League for me. I still don't know if I have him in this top 20. I don't think so. Um, Morgan Riley's a bit better than 20, but I maybe closer to the top 10, but I, I don't know. It's For me, he's, he's not good enough defensively to be considered any higher than that, um, at least in my case. And same thing with uh, Jacob Slavin. He should be closer to the top five than he is. Is that, closer a, is that a typo or does his name actually have two C's in it? It's two C's. Oh, okay. Did you just learn that? Yeah, I thought I thought it was did, just. Did you not know that? No. No. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. No. He's <laughs> a, he's a two C's. Two C's in Jacob Slavin. I'll pull up the top ten here. Um, okay. So again, not surprising what... that Victor Hedman, given his recent success, is number one. But uh, it's it's the two and the three and the five and the eight <laughs> where the, I start to have a lot it's of the top 10 for this. Nick. It's really just the top 10. It's for the him. Top 10. I don't mind. I don't mind most of the top five. And when we get to our own list, you'll see, but I agree. I agree with eight. Um, but, but what I, I like about this list is, you know, the inclusion of Roman Yossi, the inclusion and well, obviously the inclusion, but putting Roman Yossi at two, the inclusion of Kyle McCarr, the inclusion of Quinn Hughes, because I just find with most of NHL's lists, it's it's just like the names, right? So it doesn't really mean anything. But that's I do. I, think I this... forgot was John Klingberg on the other ten? Uh, I don't no, think he was. That's a good point. He wasn't. No. Okay. You see, I, that was a surprising uh, exclusion for me. I thought the NHL would have at least had him in there. I, I, again, that's one more debating for me. But I, I also I'm surprised he wasn't in there. I yeah. would have put him ahead of one of uh weber or burns right now at yeah. least but given the way the nhl typically selects these lists i'm not surprised uh for me john carlson's way too high again he's all offense all offense but from john so, carlson and his on ice goal differential is pretty brutal we talked about it when we when we made our norris picks i would have yossi well i know he is but um i'd have like yossi finally like i think the nhl got it right with their norris pick but john carlson like Washington scores almost just as much with him on the ice as they do with off the ice. Like his goal differential is fairly average, whereas Yossi gets the best out of his teammates. And I'm not saying Carlson doesn't, but Carlson doesn't to the same extent as the others. And I think we'll have to pull that up because that was a previous episode where we talked about it. Um, I think I would agree with, I'd probably have John Carlson top five. I wouldn't have him top three. That's for sure. Okay. So can we do, can we do our rankings? Cause I, I have some great okay. to air. Yeah, Luke, you go first. Well, everybody can read off their one to fives. Just so why don't, don't, why don't we start one at one, five? We might consist a lot of the same way. Well, just okay. read off well, your, who your five to one is. My, you know, I just because <laughs> I have I've three people in the five spot, so I'll go the other way. I also um, I have a couple people in the five spot as well. <laughs> so I have Victor I, I Hedman. Uh, I have Victor Hedman in one. I have Roman Yossi in two. I have Seth Jones in three. I have John Carlson in four. And then I don't know. And I think after one more year, it'll become a bit more clear. But I honestly have McCarr 
Carr, Heiskanen, and Hughes in five. Um, all right. I'll, we, we can take turns responding to each other. I'll start. I pretty much had an issue with that list with anything you said after <laughs> one. Um, <laughs> I, I especially didn't agree with your two, three, four. I, I think Seth Jones is way overrated for me. Um, again, he, he did pretty decently in the playoffs against the Maple Leafs, um, shutting down the big guys. He's a decent uh, transitional defenseman. But, wow, he doesn't do enough play driving at both ends for me. Uh, the same thing with Yossi. Yossi's had one really good year in his NHL career for me, and that was last year. Deserving Norris winner, but it, it's still hard for me to call him the second-best defenseman in the National Hockey League, given his track record. Patrick, you've been making some extravagant yeah. faces. I'll <laughs> let you speak. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I said Jones is overrated for a while, and I said I – I thought, okay, never mind. Um, I thank you for not for criticizing Jones because I thought I was going to be the only one to do it because I also don't think he's no. very good. And Jay Fresh had an article about it, about how a lot of his results have been um, fairly average. And I pulled up some stats and part of this conversation I had with Nick. Um, he's good on the penalty kill. Um, doesn't do a lot of even strength for me uh, from what I've seen. And I'm referencing in part what I read from Jay Fresh before I think he got rid of the article. Um, he's good at, uh, he's one of the better ones at transition play, but he doesn't really sustain a lot of offense to the same extent someone like Wierenski does. And I do think in a few years, eventually Wierenski will be the better defenseman having a hand. I think he almost had 20 goals or about 20 goals a couple seasons ago being so young. I just don't think either of them are that good. <laughs> yeah, fair. I, I do think, I think there's a lot of potential with Wierenski. I really like Wierenski, but if I can get to my top five, um, yeah, five, five to one or one to five. You're five to one, or wait, however you. I'll go one to it. five. It is one to five. Yeah, go your one to five. Uh, I had Victor Hedman, and then I had Roman Yossi, and in part it is recency, but we have to factor that in. It's like we can't not, but also look at long term because a lot of the long term guys who are riding the reputation would not be here, or probably would. Um, so yeah, Hedman, Yossi. I have Petrangelo at three. I have Carlson at four, and I know I just criticized him for sort of being. Um, not getting the best of an offenseman, but at the same time, that point total is absurd and that still deserves credit. And then at five, I have um, high skin in at the moment, but again, that's a tough call to make when he was sort of sheltered behind Klingberg. But I do think eventually it will be Hughes. Um, and then, yeah, but down the line, Darlene will be better than I think Hughes and McCarr if we want to get into that, but <clears throat> yeah, that's no, mine. That's okay. I don't have Jones there. I, I really, right. so, so I've I always thought Jones was over. I know you guys both have Yossi right up there and I, I don't know, like he's not in my top five before I read it, but I, I don't think I, I want to know your guys thoughts on Ryan Ellis. Cause I think he's better than Roman Yossi. Um, I don't, I don't think I, I do don't. either. Um, and again, I'm just saying that I haven't really looked at anything, but I just, I don't think it's, I feel like that's a that's a wild. Uh, yeah, I I don't. Yeah, I don't think so, Nick. You said you were smart about ten minutes ago. Don't uh, don't get cocky. I I but do. Well, where was he on this list? He was like seventeen or sixteen or eighteen or something. Um, I'd put him yeah, higher than that, he was, he was and right I'd also there. put him higher than a lot of the guys that were above and, him. Nick, can and you go back to the 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 half other half? I would maybe even uh, back half. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll wait. 
Um, okay. I would put him as high as 13 on this list. I would put him up. Who's in the top 10. But I'd maybe put him in top 10. Regardless, I, I don't think I'd, I don't, I don't think he's better than Yosti. Um, I don't know. I think, I think if Ryan Ellis and his ability to munch minutes doesn't exist, then I don't think Roman Yossi's Norris exists. That's the, just my, the that's time my to, take. I thought Yossi was wildly overrated in uh, Nashville's cup run because he was sort of labeled as the guy when in reality it was Subban and Ekholm who were taking on the harshest defensive deployment and Yossi and Ellis were really gifted some offensive time. And I feel like that's a good time to look at, to isolate all four and sort of talk about the, the preferred one. Um, again, in that series, it was Subban and Ekholm who were doing a lot of the shutdown, but again, I really like Ryan Ellis and I do think he's pretty underrated, but I don't know if I would make the argument that he's better than Roman Yossi, um, especially right after he won, he wins the Norris. Like he is good and he is underrated, but I don't know if I'd put him there whatsoever. All right, uh, I can go for my top five then. Again, it's the fifth spot that you have so much debate with because you want to put in, you want you want to try and factor for what guys are going to be or what guys should be. But uh, I had a lot of debate with mine. It was, uh, I had Hedman one, uh, Dougie Hamilton, number two, Jacob Slavin, number three, Charlie McAvoy, number four. Uh, and then the five, I put Petrangelo there for now, just given how good Petrangelo is right now but again I'll listen to arguments on Eric Carlson and what he is if he's healthy because I think he is again can fit anywhere in that top five if he's healthy but I also put in brackets McCarr and Haskinen just specifically younger guys that you could argue by you know in a couple yeah. months from now when the season starts could be that number five not to copy you and I'm not doing this but I do think people and I'll say myself People overlook Dougie Hamilton. He is so good. He is so good, and he's not yeah, talked he about is. enough. He is good. Um, but, okay, the most exciting defenseman, excluding our rankings, who do you think is the most exciting defenseman to watch? Nick, we kind of know your answer, but to have you answer not Healthy Carlson, current uh, Makar Hughes for me. Just they, It's the younger guys. They try better. They're riskier with the puck, and that's yeah. always more fun to watch. Luke. I, I would agree. I, I'd actually probably agree with maybe a healthy Carlson too. Um, there's my Ottawa bias again, but uh, Hughes and Makar, I think Hughes, the skater that he is, is pretty exciting. Makar, just as a player in a bit more of a general sense, pretty exciting. Uh, any of the younger guys, Heiskanen would be up there too. I, I couldn't, like, I would never say, you know, Hedman, or the other Carlson or anyone like that. I just don't. Yeah, I, interesting. I would agree. Um, very good. But I just, yeah, yeah same. Oh, um, yeah. I would probably have, yeah, uh, probably Eric Carlson, a healthy one. But um, high skin is just so fun for me to watch. So um, let's uh, let's talk about Halloween. You know what? Was... Sorry, I'll, I'll go the other way quickly. My, my most exciting <clears throat> to watch when I'm playing against them, I think always is Shea Weber. The, let me explain this, Pat, because it's always whenever the Suns are playing the Habs, you know what's going to happen once he gets the puck. He's just going to wind up and take a slap shot. Now it <laughs> might go in. And a lot of times it does go in. 
but I would say overwhelmingly 97% of the time it's off the glass and then you're like, okay, <laughs> fine. Rushes over let's go back up the other that side. That guy takes ice. a lot of slap but shots. It is honestly, it yeah. is terrifying when he winds up and there are just five bodies in front of him. It actually is scary. Um, anyway, speaking of scary, how's that for a segue? Let's talk about Halloween. Uh, um, that was good. That was good. Pat. We were going to, yeah. Yeah. Quite the host. Eh? Let, let's, uh, let, let's, rate these halloween costumes guys all right what did you guys dress uh, yeah, up for let's do it dress up as i didn't, didn't dress, dress up for up. halloween Luke. i didn't dress up either cool <laughs> what did you dress up as uh yeah so the nhl players usually do a decent job for halloween so i pulled up some of the best costumes i saw this year um and we can talk about which ones are the best this is my favorite. This one was maybe right the right best. The I was yeah, looking at Brady and Matthew. Yeah. That, that's a really good. <laughs> yeah, I don't have, I, there's no, 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 no debate there. I wonder how long they've known that they can pull that off because it's like ne- seeing them in it. It's like, oh yeah, absolutely. They, they can do that. But I'm yeah. curious how they got there. That's hilarious. That's the one. I would, I would believe you if you told me every year since Step Brothers came out that these two went as Dale and Brennan. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I would believe that if you told me that. That's a funny movie. Yeah, I don't know. Plus, uh, Brady really looks like. Uh, yeah, he does. Yeah, he really, really does. Go uh, again, John C. O'Reilly. Is that his yeah. name? He does kind of look like him. Yeah. Um. All right. Let me go to the next one. Uh, okay. Th- this is taken from a screenshot of videos. Patrice Bergeron as Elmo. That whole video. That whole video. What? Like, you guys see the the Tukarask one? Like, what was that? That was extremely odd to watch. I, 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 maybe you haven't seen it. The Bruins are kind of funny. I didn't, I didn't the Bruins are kind of funny. Video. I just saw it. Watch the It starts with two grass. Yeah, and it's I, just I just think like... back to Zidane Chara being the pink Energizer bunny. That's the one I always yeah, think of. That one, yeah. But okay. this this one was good. All right, let's see what else, what else we got. Uh, we'll, do, we'll do one more. Elias Pettersson. So I don't know. I added this one. I don't know. One. I don't know which one he is, but I'm he's assuming... one of them. So that's cool. We'll do a couple a couple more quickly since we, it's a lot of Elmo. Uh, Bo Horvat is a I beekeeper. Like this one with uh, Gunner and Holly. Is that his kid's name? Or Don Gus isn't there. But that, I think that's pretty clever. Uh, what else do we got? Brianna Decker, one is Yarmir Yager. I thought that was yeah, pretty cool. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, last two here. We'll go through quickly. Another Canuck. I'm Goddett. One is the Joker. Uh, specifically the Heath Ledger Joker. Uh, again, that's a, the hair is pretty accurate. He has the hair point. for it. I was uh, just gonna say, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would have thought more people would go as Joaquin Phoenix Joker, but uh, and lastly, Alex Tuck is uh, <laughs> and his significant other Beauty and the Beast. So yeah, pretty pretty creative. Uh, I would say uh, Brady and Matthew definitely won Halloween for me though in the NHL landscape. Yeah, that was just Agreed. that was just very very <laughs> accurate. Um, Luke really knows the uh, Canucks families, eh? I follow uh, Bo and his dog on Instagram. Separate accounts. His dog has his own account. Actually, I think most of the Canucks dogs do. I know all their names. So. All right, let's uh, let's jump to the mailbag. We haven't done the mailbag in quite some time. Um, I tweet out and get my followers sort of force them to ask questions sometimes when we're really pressed for content. All 1,100 of them. Yep. Um, That's got the most followers here in case we've never mentioned that. You know what though? Rain, he's, uh, he's getting close. I think he, he, he? oh yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Got to enjoy this for a little bit more. Um, Nigel Gubekchin. Gubekchin? Gubekchin. Nigel Gubekchin. Thank you. Gubekchin. Over under on Miro Heiskanen winning a Norris in three and a half years. Well, if you asked me a year ago when we were TNF <laughs> last season, then it was definitely the under. Um, that's a good question. I'm still going to take the under because I'm still a big fan of Miro Heiskanen. And I think he's one of the best young blue liners on the league. That goes without saying. Um, and this playoffs for him was very much a coming out party. So we now know a lot more media eyes are going to be on Miro Heiskanen, which is, as Drew Doughty has uh, proved in the past, just having the media know about you is uh, yes. enough to win a Norris Trophy. So I think I said, I, I'm going to take the under for him. I, th- I think the over. And not to say that he's not going to have Norris caliber seasons in the next three, but when you like consider the competition, uh, I don't know if he'll be the best defenseman. Could be wrong, but I just think I like. I think when everyone thinks of the young defenseman, it's Hughes, McCarr, Heiskanen. Uh, I don't Darlene, know if one Darlene, of them is going to. People Darlene. are forgetting about Darlene a lot, and I'm not saying you. Um, a lot of people kind of forget about that he exists. I don't know if yep. one of them are going to win it next year. I bet I would probably guarantee that two years from now, one of those young ones will win it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes one more older guy next year, but I, I just don't know if Heiskanen is going to be the best out of that group. All right. Patrick, um, what, what are you saying for it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I didn't even answer that. Um, I Should it be under? Yes. Will it be? I don't think so because the NHL is notorious. Well, not notorious, but like a lot of times we talk about pity Norris's and I think you can still look at the Heiskanen situation and say, oh, well, Klingberg is ahead of him. He's not facing all of the competition. So should he? My opinion, yes. Will he? I don't think um, it is likely. Um, I do. Well, think clearly, that... all he's got to do is tell the media he's deserving of one. It's his time, right? Yes. That's how it works. Um, That's how it works. I guess. I guess so. Um, Rain Hernandez asks, looking into the future. Friend of the show. Think... Friend of the show. He is a friend of the show. Friend of the show. Looking into the future, who do you think will be the best Canadian team in 2024? Uh. I mean, I think the most logical answer, assuming they're all playing there still, would be the Toronto Maple Leafs. I still think that's the most likely answer. Um, if Eugene Melnick is an Ottawa owner in 2024, <laughs> the trajectory they're on, they could easily be up in that conversation then too. I don't think that's completely out of the question. Um, you know, it's hard to say that right now when you look at them, but I don't think the Senators being uh, at least in that conversation in a few years is wild. Uh, Vancouver, given their young talent, if they can eventually straighten out the cap situation that they're in right now and uh, improve that, could be there. But I still think the easy answer probably is Toronto. I would... Oh, go ahead. You go ahead. No, you go ahead. I think Toronto as well, um, because Robertson will have aged and developed into what Leafs fans seem to think he is. Um, Which Which is a top five NHL goal scorer of all time, right? Yep. Um, hopefully Rasmus Sandin will to take uh, more strides over the next couple seasons. Um, again, like Frederick Anderson's a UFA next year. Again, depends on goaltending, but the way they're built, you still have Matthews, you still have Tavares, you'll still have Marner, Nylander. It's I I, I don't think it, I'd be hard pressed to say anyone else but Toronto. Well, I I do think it'll be Toronto on paper. On paper. Um, I also think it could be Ottawa. Uh, it could also be Vancouver, and 
I could also, also be think anybody could Montreal, Canada. Um, it could be one, and a, yeah, it could also be Winnipeg, uh, Calgary, and Edmonton. So who knows, really? Um, if we were to not say Toronto, we were to pick one. If Toronto didn't exist because this is on paper. I'm going on paper. I, I think I'm not looking at how they Vancouver play or Ottawa. It, it, I think in 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 2024, Vancouver. It'll either be Vancouver or it'll be ottawa that sounded like more clear in my head <laughs> like i'm saying it'll be one of them for sure eh? Van- but i'm saying vancouver will either be first or second i'm i'm saying it's going to be vancouver unless ottawa can do what yeah they again do. ottawa there's, there's a nine-year-old kid inside me telling me to answer ottawa for this so i'm gonna i'm gonna go ottawa okay it, I, um, it could be i i think it could be um okay I, th- I also I think the way Vancouver has played the past couple seasons, I would lean towards them performing better because I think they gel more as a team than Toronto, but strictly the paper roster they have, I would say um, the Leafs. Um, Leafs. Please, come on. Uh, Matt Mallard asks. Um, friend of the show. Friend of the, friend the show, show, Matt Mallard. He asks, McDavid or McKinnon, who's better? Uh, McDavid still McDavid. for me. I McKinnon does. Did I say McDavid t- that time? I said McDavid. Yes, you said McDavid. Wait, okay. McDavid no, for me confused. is better than McKinnon. Sorry, I got confused earlier in the episode. Uh, McDavid, Connor McDavid is still the best for me. Again, McKinnon's getting closer in the eyes of people. And yeah, I guess that's true, but. He doesn't have the individual accolades for me that would uh, make him better than Connor McDavid. Uh, he also, I, I would still say just Connor McDavid purely as an offensive driver, nobody else in the league competes with him. So it's still Connor McDavid for me. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's Connor McDavid and I don't really think I need to think too much about it. <laughs> McDavid is a superstar, but Connor McDavid's the best player in the league. Uh, yeah, I will also say Connor McDavid uh, because I feel like, yeah, no, I, again, sort of like what Luke said, I do think it's Connor McDavid, although, and this is the only thing that McKinnon has the edge in, not the only thing. Uh, well, yeah, probably one of like, the, the significant thing that he has the edge in, and that's evolving wilds. They do uh, expected defensive goals above replacement and expected defense. Um, and McKinnon has the edge. He's 0.03, while McDavid is like minus 0.22. But again, that's not that big a deal when you are driving as much offense as McDavid is, especially given the lack of talent he's had, whereas McKinnon has been gifted Ranton and Landeskog, whereas McDavid played so much with Zach Cassian. And um, yeah, McDavid. I, I would still say also, just like you, you can't under, the defense is like fine, but it, it's definitely not what these players are known for. Connor McDavid was three points away from a fourth consecutive 100-point season last season, uh, which is bonkers given the fact that he had uh, 64 games played, 97 points. Yeah. Um, 116 points the year before that. Nathan McKinnon's never hit 100 points, uh, if you can believe that. So yeah. I would still say uh, until he hits that a couple of times, we can't fairly have that argument given the fact that you know, Connor McDavid is still a bit younger than Nathan McKinnon is. It's and it's wild, and McDavid. But... I don't know how much this matters now, but McDavid never really sophomore slumped uh, to the same extent. McKinnon. Not that that right. Like even though he was right. injured, he's been a more consistent player over his yeah. career than uh, yeah. McKinnon has. Uh, Matthew Mallard also asked, "Do you think the Vancouver Canucks are a playoff team in 2020, 2021? Why or why not? Are we going to assume before we tackle this question? 
friend of the show, Matt Mallard, by the way, are we going to assume that this is um, in a Canadian division? Because I think Vancouver. I think regardless. Yeah, I think that's an okay. I, I think that's an easy answer if it's Canadian <clears throat> division. I think they're an easy at least second place in that division. Uh, at worst, third place in a Canadian division. Uh, Pacific, it, it maybe gets a bit tougher just because I think Vegas is the automatic one there. Um, and, you know, they're competing with Edmonton in the Canadian division too, but I, I don't know, it, it, easier games for Edmonton as well when they're yeah. in the Pacific, given some if, of the bad teams in there. If you think about it, you've got um, Vegas, Anaheim, San Jose, LA, or Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg. I think, I think Vegas and Toronto trade off as the undoubted better team. But other than that, I think Vancouver is better than all the other rest of those teams. So I think they're second either way. All right. Uh, Friend of the show, Matt Mallard asks, do you think, (laughs) Hey, you know what? Thank you, Matt. Hey, you came in with three good questions today. These Um, are good. Do you think the Montreal Canadians are a playoff team in 2020, 2021? Why or why not? Um, I don't think you need to include the why not in that question because they are a playoff team. And um, that is the end of my answer. No, I just gave Matt all the credit for asking the question. You can't. Uh, I think they're a playoff team. Uh, yes. Uh, Canadian this, division. Yeah, I think this is more important. Sure. I, this, I think so. this one, I think, is drastically swayed more by the division because yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it yeah. all depends. They're still at their best, the fourth best team in the Atlantic division, if that's what they go with. I still think that Toronto... Uh, Boston and Tampa Bay are better, and then it becomes a battle for wildcard spots and how they stack up against teams in the Metro, was, which is an entirely different conversation. But um, Canadian division, they are automatically a playoff team. I think it is way less automatic if they're in an Atlantic division next year. Um, All right. So, yeah. I think they are a playoff team. And, again, uh, I don't think they will be better than Boston, but I don't think Boston will run away ahead of Montreal as easily as other people seem to think they are injured and they didn't do much in terms of having a strong off season. You lose Tory Krug. I'm not completely sold, but I, yeah, you're right. It does. It does get swayed by the division, but I do think Montreal uh, will make the playoffs. Um, I have three questions from my father who texted in. So let's get to those. Uh, what is the ideal number of games for a COVID shortened season next year? Um, again, we talked about David Pagnotta's tweet that suggested they would be doing 82 games over condensed, but that doesn't make any sense. I think similar to the lockout around 40. Well, the lockout was 30. I, I think 40 to 50 would be, it would be ideal. It was 48. The lockout 48, was 48. Lockout okay. Then, yeah. Yep. Then I think the same as the lockout shortened year. Uh, cap it at 50, maybe 52. Yeah. I think that seems about reasonable for me. What about you guys? I, yeah, I, I again, and, sorry, go ahead, Luke. Well, no short. I was just going to say, I don't really care as long as they start next season on time. Yeah. In the NHL's eyes, again, the obvious, the answer here would be 82 games. I just don't think it, that is going to break for them. Uh, in terms of just getting the league back on track and sports back on track in this world right now, I think 48 games right now and do playoffs. It was fun in 2013. Didn't feel any different. And I think that is the best answer right now. Yeah, I think there was there was way too much uh, 
people were way too upset about the lockout shortened season, even though I thought it worked extremely well. It didn't feel rushed, and I thought it was the perfect amount of games. Uh, my yeah. father also asked. Also, I'll plug his Twitter real quick at James Talon thirty three. You can give him a follow. He's he's relatively active on Twitter. Anyway, will the Leafs ever win a playoff series with this core, including goaltending? Um, that's a question. Uh, it, sorry, it, it, it's playoff series. Yeah, he's being what, pretty harsh. Just a playoff series. God, I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope um, so. If, if I was a Leaf fan, yeah, no, I would certainly hope so that they win one with this core. Um, again, maybe maybe the emphasis is more on goaltending, goaltending yeah. and defense. Let's sort of... If, if you asked me three years ago, like, yeah, they should have won by now yeah. uh, at least a playoff series, and they still okay. haven't, which is unbelievable like, to think about. But um, I don't know. It, it's it, I'll shift to next year. It's it, Again, it depends what the playoff format is next year. Could they do it next year? I but I would still think they'd be hard, hard in a matchup against Montreal in the playoffs. Like I, I still think that Montreal could probably win that playoff series, or even Vancouver. Yeah, Montreal's a team that, Canadian playoff series. Yeah, and that's why we I kept emphasizing on paper about who the best team was because Toronto uh, this past year really struggled against Montreal. And again, I do think people are sleeping on Montreal quite a bit. And you can call me a homer as much as you want, but um, you're a homer. As far as I think, okay. I think it's speaking more specifically towards goaltending because Anderson's a UFA the next year, and uh, there are some questions there. If he takes, like, he's probably I, I again, we don't know what's going to happen with him, but uh, there, I'm still not sold on their defense or their goaltending. Um, I guess he means I think ob- this, but objectively, yeah, that Leafs team should win a playoff series. But I think what we're all kind of hinting at is that the Leafs kind of. Underperform, um, and I'll put it delicately, they kind of suck in the playoffs, <laughs> so maybe not. Um, but like Nick said, three years ago, you're like, yeah, they're going to win a playoff series, but they haven't yet, and who knows? Who knows? Well, maybe all the grit they added in their bottom six will help. Uh, another question from my father says, what four teams, two from the East and two from the West, will be the dominant teams in the league for the next five years. Let's start with the Eastern or let's start with the Western conference. You guys name the two Western conference teams. Can I answer the one that we're all going to say for the West? Yeah. It's Colorado. Colorado. It's got to be Colorado. Um, yeah. Given how good they are right now. And they've still got so much more on the way. I struggle a bit to name a second one, just because it feels like they're the biggest young team on the upswing i'll probably go the los angeles kings just because i think they've drafted so well so they should be a powerhouse like relatively soon what was the time frame on the question it was uh will be the dominant teams in the league for the next five years i'm gonna say vegas before i jump to say la i I think i don't think la no no but i think after i think in in five years la will start to be but i think being the most dominant for the next five years i wouldn't put la i'd probably put vegas uh, oh, is it? Sorry, it's for the next five years specifically. Yeah. I'll, then I'll say Vegas. Yeah. V- yeah. Yes, I I agree. Okay. I Yeah. Eastern Conference. I'll I'll start. I will probably say the Rangers and already. Oh, like uh, okay, yeah, this no, is like right, starting right. this. Sorry. Year, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 Um, I'll put Toronto because in theory they should with the roster they have. They should be. Um, Boston's the eight Boston's core and their, the age of their core and the lack of depth on defense concerns me. Um, I wouldn't put the Rangers yet. That's a good point, Luke. Um, Thank you. 
I don't want to say Detroit. Tampa Bay. You can't forget about Tampa Bay. You can't forget about Tampa Bay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, Tampa. Carolina. Yeah, still... I, again, yeah, they're they're still really good. I, I'm I'm waiting for them to win a division. I think it could yeah. be next year that they could do it. Um, I don't know. I, I I still think if we're looking at the five year time frame as a whole, I think by at least year three, then the Rangers are a good answer. So I'll, I'll say Toronto. Um, and I think at least the back half of this five-year window, the Rangers should be. I'll say Toronto and Tampa just because they're still relatively young. Um, yeah. Again, th- again, the whole Anthony Sorelli thing, that, that also plays into that. Um, at Suzuki Goat uh, asks, Dark Horse Must Calder be a Montreal Canada. fan. Must be. Dark Horse Calder candidate for next year. This is the last question because we do have to wrap up soon. I'm going to go with Samuel Poulain. Uh, out of Pittsburgh, uh, he's their last, last like good prospect, and I do like the way he plays, so I will say him. I don't have an answer for this. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough One to say. I haven't looked too much at what rookies are going to crack the line up next year. Um, you know, you'd have to figure Alexi Lafreniere is probably the obvious answer for a lot of people. Um, Josh Norris was fourth in AHL scoring last year. Was one of the best performers in the AHL. That was his first rookie year down there next year. I'm wondering how productive he can be given the fact that he'll be given really big minutes with Ottawa. Um, so that's the one I'm personally really interested in. I think could surprise a lot of people because um, he surprised a lot of people in the HL this year. And I know friend of the show, Rain Hernandez is also a big fan and really high on Josh Norris. So yeah, that would be my answer. Uh, very biased answer, but uh, I'll add one more. I'll say Ian Mitchell out of Chicago, depending on the type of deployment mm-hmm. he gets uh, depending on what Seabrook and um Keith get I do think he is a dark horse one and I do think he's gonna surprise definitely a lot one of I people. forgot about um Doc and Kubalik surprised a lot of people this year why not have a third with Ian Mitchell so that would be my pick um as we wrap things up here this was a good episode guys I'm really pleased with how today went um some healthy debate some unhealthy debate as per usual it's always fun tomorrow we are live from 7 to 8 p.m doing a redraft as well we'll find some contentious issue to debate over because we usually do um specifically personalities in the NHL is something we want to talk about. Um, Is the NHL lacking in personality too much? Whereas the line with NHL personality um, probably talk a little about Barstool and how they've sort of changed the perception of NHL players with their uh, spit and chicklets and having interviews with certain players. I think that's all uh, that'll all be on tomorrow as well as the 2011 redraft. As for tier makers, we are going to alternate tier makers and NHL draft. We don't want to, oversaturate one we want to spread them out as as best as we can um as we wrap up here i do want to remind everyone who tuned into the show that it can be heard on barn burner radio network on its 122 platforms check out all of it on barnburner.ca for all the news and updates gentlemen real quick plug your twitters at the luke burrows at nico's robinson i think at uh patrick talon 81 thank you everyone for tuning in reminder we'll be live tomorrow from seven to eight uh luke nick thank you once again and uh we'll see